Hello, everyone, and welcome to Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions all around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through difficult times. Today, we're going to be chatting with Stephen Roroka, partner at SSEK in Indonesia. We also have a special announcement. Moving forward, we now have a new moderator who will be helping out with podcasts in the Asia-Pacific region and are pleased to welcome Cynthia Chung, partner at Deacons in Hong Kong. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast team. How are you today? Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. On the program today, Stephen is going to update us on remote work in Indonesia. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. How are you today? I'm doing great, Cynthia. Thank you so much for having me today. This pandemic has obviously made employers think of more creative allocation of resources. And as travel restrictions continues, there are more needs to access workers remotely. Well, if you ask me, I would definitely choose Indonesia as one of my dream destinations to work. So what are the basic requirements for a company to employ a remote worker in Indonesia? That's a very good opening question, Cynthia. And the basic requirements really depend on whether or not the remote worker is an Indonesian national or a foreign national, which we will discuss further in our podcast today, of course. When we talk about Indonesians, there are probably not many requirements other than having the contract between the foreign employer and the Indonesian employee being executed in dual language, i.e. in Bahasa Indonesia and the foreign language. Other than that, I would presume that usually in these types of arrangements, the agreement will be governed by foreign law, which means that Indonesian labor law does not apply to that relationship. Now, it's a bit trickier when we talk about foreign nationals doing remote work in Indonesia. Like you said yourself, it would be a dream destination to work in Indonesia remotely. I would imagine that working in Bali would be great for a lot of people. In that case, as we will talk further later, there will be some tricky points that we need to look into or we need to be aware of Because when it comes to foreign nationals being in Indonesia, the key factor that needs to be in everybody's minds is that whether or not the foreign national is doing work. Now, the definition of work itself, I can say is not very firm in Indonesia. But for discussion's sake, I would say that there are three elements that determine whether or not a foreign national is working in Indonesia. First of all, the performance of the activities in Indonesia. Second of all, being sponsored by an Indonesian entity or employer. And third, being paid or being given compensation for doing those activities. Now, why this is very important is because if a foreign national is considered as to be doing work in Indonesia, then there will be a set of rules regarding work permits and immigration state permits that would be applicable to that foreign national. Great. So you mentioned that the major difference is obviously whether or not the employer is engaging an Indonesian citizen remotely based in Indonesia or a non-Indonesian citizen. So what are the other differences that you wanted to highlight to us? Well, I guess the biggest difference is that because when we talk about the Indonesian national remotely working for a foreign employer under a, a foreign labor law, then there's not really much to talk about other than the dual language that we talked about earlier. But when it comes to the foreign nationals, 
there is always a risk that if a remote worker is being asked by officials regarding his or her presence in Indonesia, and there is a misrepresentation of what he or she is actually doing, that could lead to further issues. That could lead to questions, because if the foreign national does not answer correctly, then there could be allegations that he or she is supposed to be having a work permit, even though actually under the Indonesian regulations, you can have business meetings under a business visa, but there is always a question. It's a classic question in Indonesia, actually. When do you need a work permit? That's the classic question that even my clients up to this day always ask me. And we always try to advise them. You can do a lot of things under a business visa, but if we talk about actual work activities, then the work permit will be applicable. And that's when usually issues could arise. Because if you don't have a work permit and you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing under the rules, then unfortunately you can get into trouble with the officials, which could lead to detainment and or deportation. So we talk about employees, but, you know, obviously I think employers may be thinking about whether to engage a person as an employee or an independent contractor. So what are the differences? I assume that there would be differences in statutory benefits or, you know, termination procedures, et cetera. So maybe can you expand a little bit on that? Yes. Thank you, Cynthia. So obviously the biggest difference is in terms of the statutory benefits, because when we talk about independent contractors, Usually when there is a termination of the relationship, there isn't an obligatory benefit for the termination of the relationship, meaning that if we engage an independent contractor, we as an employer, when we talk about in Indonesia, we're not obligated to give any severance packages or termination compensations. So usually in case of a subcontractor relationship, what we do care about is the dispute resolution. And usually it takes place either in arbitration or in civil court or in criminal court, depending on what the violation is, or it could also be a consensus. It depends, right? So it's, it's contractually agreed between the parties. But mm. when we talk about employees, that's a whole different subject. I mean, it's a whole different set of rules. In Indonesia, we, we recognize two types of employment, the fixed term and the permanent employment. And both employment schemes have their own statutory benefits. So when we talk about the permanent employment, we talk about severance packages, we talk about the compensation and others that need to be paid when there's a termination of an employment. Same goes with the fixed term. Of course, there's a difference because there's no severance in this fixed term employment, but there's always the compensation as well. So in terms of the dispute resolution, When it comes to the labor dispute resolution, usually it will go to the labor court. So if there's an issue about the employment itself, we don't go to the civil court or the criminal court or arbitration, but we go to the labor court. So I think those are the main differences between employing employees versus independent contractors. Thank you. That's very helpful. So what do employers need to be aware of in an employing so remote workers based in Indonesia, I mean, I assume there, there may be risks, for example, you mentioned earlier about immigration, visas, but also for the company, would, would they fall foul of any sort of tax rules, including sort of a permanent establishment risk? Thank you, Cynthia. And that's a very good question. So again, when we talk about Indonesians 
being the remote worker, other than the dual language that we talked about, there's no really big issue as long as the governing law is a foreign law. But when we talk about people coming in to work in Indonesia remotely, so foreigners, other than the immigration and work permit risks, there is also the risk of having establishing a PE or a permanent establishment under the tax rules. Actually, that also applies for Indonesians as well. So in terms of the immigration, it doesn't apply if the remote worker is an Indonesian national. But if even if an Indonesian national is a remote worker, or if we talk about a foreigner working in Indonesia remotely for a foreign employer, without going into details, there is a possibility, first of all, for the foreigner, him or herself, to be deemed as a taxpayer subject or Indonesian taxpayer after a certain number of days being in Indonesia and depending on the applicable tax treaties. But then again, there's also a risk for the employer which employs the remote worker to be establishing a permanent establishment after the employee has been conducting services for a certain number of days as well. So there is that risk of establishing a PE, definitely. So Indonesian employment law, as I understand it, is, is quite employee-friendly, unlike some of the other jurisdictions like you know, Hong yeah. Kong and, and Singapore. So what does that mean for employing remote workers in Indonesia? Can employers choose to have, you know, employment relationship under Indonesian law, which, as we said earlier, was sort of obviously more employee friendly, or can they just freely choose a foreign law? Well, Indonesia recognizes the principle of freedom of contract. So basically, the parties can choose what law to govern. But you are correct, Cynthia, that Indonesia's employment law is considered to be very employee friendly, especially before end of last year where Indonesia introduced this big reformation in the law, which was in the form of the issuance of the omnibus law. So the omnibus law basically changes a lot of laws and regulations with the spirit of making things less bureaucratic and making things easier, easing business and investment in Indonesia. Now, the labor law is one of the, probably I would say one of the most controversial aspects of the omnibus law that was issued late last year. Now, with the introduction of the omnibus law, the labor law does become more balanced. I wouldn't say that now it's more balanced towards employers. I would still say that it's still employee-friendly. But if previously it was probably like 80% more employee-friendly, now, I would say it's more of a 55 to 60% more employee-friendly. So it kind of fixes the balance, although it's still employee-friendly. Now, what employers need to really pay attention to when choosing what law governs is what we have discussed from the beginning. Choosing Indonesian law means that the employment relationship will be subject to a set of rules, which could be very employee-friendly. So when we talk about severance packages, compensation, and other benefits in terms of termination, that will still be, in my opinion, more employee-friendly, although it's more balanced these days. So in that case, employers need to really decide. They have to really know which would be more beneficial to them. If the foreign law is more beneficial, then, of course, you can go with the foreign law. But again, then again, that being said, you still have to look at the potential task risks as well. So the, the PE, that the permanent establishment risk that we have been talking about, they have to also look at that. 
But definitely in terms of the labor law itself, I would say that Indonesia is still employee friendly, although the balance have been fixed a bit, thanks to the omnibus law. Well, it certainly sounds like a question that I think clients should probably consult an expert like yourself. <laughs> to, yes, to... it's never straightforward. Like Indonesian yeah, labor law, yeah. you think you know what the regulation means, but even me and a lot of labor lawyers in our office, we always find something new <laughs> in these laws yeah. and regulations. I won't be surprised, but yeah, yeah. If, if I sort of question, I'll definitely come to you, Stephen. Thank you. <laughs> To wrap up, what are your suggestions to an employer in terms of drafting, you know, a successful cross-border remote worker policy for Indonesia? Definitely, as you said, Cynthia, employers need to know exactly what the rules are and how do they know how the rules work in practice. And how do they know that is by, of course, reaching out to someone who knows the rules and not just the rules, but how things work in practice as well. So it's always good to follow the developments in practice. Like, for example, if we talk about travel restrictions in Indonesia, like, for example, now there is a limitation for foreigners coming into Indonesia if they don't have a stay permit yet. Now, how do we know that? We can actually go to the social media of the government institutions, because right now the Director General of Immigration, for example, has a very active Instagram page, which regularly updates us with the developments. So it's always good to go to someone who knows how the rules work. It's good to know how the practice works. It also is also good to know the developments regulation-wise and from the government institution's perspective from their sources as well. So the Ministry of Manpower also has a, an Instagram page, which also regularly updates the regulations. So it's always good to look at those as well. Definitely have to know the regulations, have to know the rules, have to know the practice the risks involved, the tax risks. I mean, if a lawyer maybe doesn't know exactly what the details are, it's always good to go to a tax consultant to know more details about it. So it's always good to know those things before we can implement a successful cross-border remote worker policy for Indonesia. So key is regulation and know the practice and also know the risks involved. And of course, contacting the right persons. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for all your tips today. It's been uh, great speaking to you for the session. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for having me. And thank you, LA. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to connect with Stephen, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. Also, search the ELA website at ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Cynthia Chong. Thanks so much for listening.